Well, for the past uh, handful of years, during the summer months, we uh, have been breaking to study together uh, selected psalms throughout our Psalter. And this summer, we uh, are doing nothing different. We are breaking to study the psalms together, but there is one glaring difference than previous summers. Uh, This summer, we'll be looking at a singular psalm, Psalm 119, where the psalmist David exhaustively celebrates and rejoices the law of God as contained in our Bibles. One of the things that we must know about Psalm 119 is not only is it a lengthy psalm, but it's the longest song that is within our scriptures. It's the longest chapter within all of our Bibles. And repeatedly, stanza after stanza after stanza, David will celebrate the beauty and the glory of the Word of God. He says that it is better to him than all the riches that this world has to offer. It's sweeter to him than the honey of the honeycomb. That this is the special revelation of God And we ought to pay careful attention to it because it will teach us a lot about daily Christian living. Now, if you don't understand what I mean, if that concept, that language, special revelation of God is foreign to you, let me briefly explain what I mean. The Bible tells us that we can know that there is a God simply by looking at nature. That the Lord has revealed Himself through His creation. He tells us uh, throughout the Scriptures that as we see the beauty of the sunrise and the sunset, as we see the glories of the beasts of the earth and the fish of the sea, as we watch the rainfall, as we hear the birds sing, there is never a doubt in our minds that there is a sovereign God who has created all of these things. He says it's... He says it's actually so, it is so knowledgeable. Creation is so knowledgeable, so forthcoming in its declaration that there is a creator. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that not one of us, not one of us has an excuse not to believe in God. That he reveals himself to us in creation. But also, he especially reveals himself to us in our Bibles. The Bible teaches us so much more about God, about who He is, what He has done, what He is going to do. Our Bibles tell us in which ways we might have a right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and it actually teaches us how we can live for His glory. And so creation reveals to us very naturally the existence of God, but especially our Bibles tell us reveals to us who our God is. And David celebrates this throughout Psalm 119. In Psalm 19, he celebrates natural revelation. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In Psalm 104, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, You are very great, for You have stretched out the heavens like a tent. And you lay the beams of your chambers on the waters. 
You set the foundations of the earth so that the earth shall never be moved. You've covered the earth with a deep garment, the waters that stood above the mountains. Even David says that we should rejoice and praise God for what He has done in creation. But here in Psalm 119, he turns his attention specifically to the special revelation of God. He says that it's in our Bibles that we learn what we need to know about our God. How He has saved us through Christ. How we are to enjoy Him and live for His honor and glory forever. And and it's exhaustive. I think I've said that already, but I need to underline that. It's exhaustive the way that David writes here. He actually uses, if you'll just look at your Bibles, he actually uses every letter of the Hebrew alphabet... Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hay, and so on. And for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, he'll write eight verses. He'll write eight verses for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And and it just seems as if his heart is, is overflowing with love and adoration and praise to God for giving us His Word. He'll he'll tell us the advantages of God's Word. He'll tell us the excellencies of God's Word. He'll tell us the necessity of God's Word. He'll say that it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And sometimes the stanzas will correlate. They'll seem to have a running theme. And sometimes it'll be stream of consciousness. It will be as if David is just writing and writing, and writing, and yet what Matthew Henry, the famous commentator of the Scripture says, is this psalm is not meant to be a chain of golden links. It's simply supposed to be a chest of fine gold. And it's this fine gold in which David invites us to plunder as we start this journey this morning in Psalm 119. Invites you to plunder the riches of God's Word so that we might take it and make application for ourselves, so that we might treasure it, and even as our sermon title this morning says, that we might guard our hearts with this word. And so I want to read verses 1 through 16, the first two stanzas of this song. And so hear God's word now, people of God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded Your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping Your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all of Your commandments, I will praise You with an upright heart when I learn Your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight. As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes upon your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
For the Word of our God remains forever and ever. Let me pray for us. Father in Heaven, this is Your Word. And this is how You especially reveal Yourself to us. And so, Father, let us see You clearly. Let us see ourselves clearly. Let us be reminded of the Gospel clearly. That we need Your presence. We need Your Spirit to fill us so that we might make application to this Your Word. Would You teach us, Lord, how to glorify Your name? Would You teach us how to guard our heart against the temptation of the flesh and the temptation of the evil one? And would we be found faithful servants of Thee on the last day? Father, we pray these things in Your Son's name. As You speak to us, speak loudly, we ask. Amen. Well, this past week I was listening to Dr. Doug Kelly's opening sermon to his series on Psalm 119 that he preached many years ago at Reedy Creek Presbyterian Church. And in that sermon he spoke of how shocking it might be for us to consider the exhaustiveness of the psalmist David here in Psalm 119. Remember, he uses every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and for each letter he writes eight verses recognizing or distinguishing for us each stanza of this song. And Dr. Kelly said that this might come across as, quote-unquote, too much. That it might seem, quote-unquote, over the top. And if it doesn't seem that way to you, surely it comes across at least tedious. And Dr. Kelly says that is the natural response when we begin to look at how David profusely pours out his heart here in his love for the Word of God until we catch the same love in which David has. He says when we recognize or when we realize how overflowing with adoration that we should be for the Word, it will seem over this top. It will seem too much. It will seem tedious what David tries to do here or even accomplishes here within this selected psalm. You know, as I was listening to that, I was reminded of this social media craze from a few years ago that I saw repeatedly happening around Valentine's Day. It was a unique gifts that Valentine's would give to one another and it would be a a full deck of playing cards, 52 cards, and As the Valentine would open the box of the card, they would begin to flip through, you know, the diamonds and the hearts, then the puppy toes or the clubs or the spades. And and with each card that they saw, there would be a trait, a characteristic in which their Valentine loved about the other. And at, and at first, my, my response to that was, especially as a guy, because we're not that creative, uh, especially as a guy was, that's kind of ridiculous. Why would anybody spend that much time pouring out their hearts, talking about all these traits for their loved one? It's always tedious until you realize how much you love your Valentine, right? Then it seems as if I could do two decks of cards or or three decks of cards. It it comes so easily when we really feel the love and the adoration and the admiration for our spouse or our Valentine. And that's something like what's before us here. There's a real treasuring of the Word from the psalmist David. 
David will even say later on, it will take us a number of weeks to get here, but in verse 72, he will say that the Word of God, the law of God, the law of God's mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. David understands, and he cannot exude it enough that that there is a love, a, a treasuring to the Word of God that each and every believer ought to have. And so it seems as if David begins writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, and it, and it seems as if his love just continues to, to outpour, overflow from his heart. We, we heard about in Sunday school, we have just started in, in, in mine and Lee's class the study of Philippians. And Sinclair Ferguson, who wrote the little study book that we're using, says that joy ought to flow out of each other's heart like a water flows downstream. That it seems natural, it seems quick, it, it seems never-ending. And that's exactly the admiration, the joy in which the law of God, the Word of God brings to the psalmist David here. And so David desires for us to to learn something about the law of God, the very Word of God. As New Testament Christians who have a complete Bible, he, he desires for us to have an affection, a treasuring to our Bibles as Christians. And David begins with the first Hebrew alphabet letter, Aleph. If you'll just look back at verses 1 and 2, we'll handle this first stanza. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. It's interesting to me here that as David begins this psalm, as he begins to write this song before us, he begins to use what we would understand as New Testament Christians, these Beatitudes. We know something about Beatitudes, don't we? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that it is blessed. There are blessed people. In, in those Beatitudes, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and you learn something about this beatitude, there's always this adjective blessed or blessed. And then there's always an identification of who is blessed. And then there's always a condition assuring you of blessedness. And so here in our text, the blessed one is the one who walks in the law of the Lord. His way is blameless. Those who seek the Lord with all of their heart, they will be blessed. And the way that they'll be blessed is that they will be seen as righteous. David is very quick to say that if we will live according to the law of God, if we will live according to our Bibles, the way that our Bibles teach us to live, teach us to walk, there will be a real righteousness, a real righteousness to be had. So here in our text, the the blessed one is the one who walks in the law of the Lord. Essentially what David is saying here is that 
the blessed one is the one who hears the Word of God and also does the Word of God. Who hears it and obeys it. The one who walks according to the law of God. The one who walks in the way, as our text says. The one who walks in the way is a man, a woman, a Christian who is directed by God's Word. Of course, our God has described for us, hasn't He, how a Christian ought to live. You think about Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where the prophet tells us, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. And so if we are to walk in a way that is blameless, we need to understand that the psalmist is telling us that we are to walk according to the Word of God. That we must hear it. That we must obey it. For that's how we surely know that we have really heard it. And so, here it is that the Lord tells us that as we walk in the ways of the Lord, we will be blessed. And I think that's remarkable. I think that's remarkable. Not only would our God call us to to live in in a certain way, not only would He call us to live in a certain way, which is His right because He is our Creator, but He promises that if we will do it, He will bless us. You know, oftentimes when, when Brooks and Anna Kate begin to ask me why I tell them to do something, why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to pick up my toys? Why do I have to eat my vegetables? Usually my response, and I hate this response, is because I'm your daddy and I told you so. You know, the Lord would have every right to tell us that. The Lord would have every right to say, it's because I'm your creator and I told you to do it. But that's not what He does, is it? He actually tells us there is a blessing to be had that if we would simply obey our Creator, if we would simply live for our Savior. You know, oftentimes we want our lives to have some sort of fulfillment and meaning. We want our lives to, to count for something. We want to seem like our life has a real value. We want relationships to, to satisfy us. And those are good things. But what, what the psalmist is declaring here in this first stanza of this song is that that will never happen apart from a real relationship with Jesus that not only hears the Word, but also obeys the Word. You will not have a life of blessedness if you cannot live according to the ways of the Lord, that if you cannot walk in the law of the Lord. In a culture that tells us that real satisfaction and fulfillment can be found within ourselves, the psalmist declares something so countercultural, doesn't he? Only under the law of God can we find what we are looking for. You will not find meaning and fulfillment as you chase the American dream. You will not, you will not find fulfillment in prestigious job titles. 
You, you will not find fulfillment in identifying yourself in an ever-fleeting and ever-changing ideology. You will not find fulfillment or gratification in any sort of human relationship if you do not have a right relationship with Christ. If you do not walk in the law of the Lord. If you do not walk in a way that is blameless. If you do not keep His testimonies. If you do not seek Him with your whole heart. That is the way to blessing. That is a way to blessedness. And David, understanding this, if you look at the end of that stanza in verse 8, he says, then, it's almost like a vow or a covenant with God. I will keep your statutes. I will keep them. The psalmist makes this pact, this covenant with the Lord. He declares, I will do it. He knows that the ways that his life would be steadfast, is simply by obeying the law of God. He knows that the way that we are not to be put to shame is to have our eyes fixed upon the commandments. He knows the way that real learning takes place is knowing the righteous rules of God. And so he says, you know what? I will do it. And yet at the very same time, he pleads for God's mercy. Do not utterly forsake me. Here it is that we see David making a vow but at the same time knowing in and of himself that he is not able to keep this vow. He is not able to withstand the temptation of his flesh. He is not able to to stand against the snares of the evil one. And so he pleads for mercy. Do not forsake me. And so as a people of God, do we understand that we are to live for God's glory? As Christians, do we understand that we have vowed to live according to God's commandments? If you're a member of this church, do you understand that you have taken a vow between God and one another that you will pursue righteousness and Christ-likeness? And so we are to do the very same thing that David did. I will do it. I will do it. I will set my attention upon living a life that is glorifying to the Lord. And at the same time, I will pray, never leave me to my own strength, Lord, nor to my own heart, because I need Your presence to fulfill the vow that I have taken. We must be active in our pursuit to walk very diligently here with Jesus We must be about the business of living a life of holiness, keeping the Lord's commandments, observing all that He has taught us, and at the same time we must pray that God would enable us to do so. And then as we move into that second stanza, verses 9 through 16, we see the determination the determination of the psalmist. If you look at verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Then look at verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How is David determined to walk in a way that is blameless? How is he determined to walk according to the law of the Lord? He says, 
I will hide your word in my heart. Now, I think this is the greatest proof text that we have for the spiritual discipline of, of memorizing Scripture. But before we can even go there, there's something that needs to be noted. Because David writes here in a way that he's saying that I need to always have God's Word in my heart. I need an ongoing faithfulness. It's an ongoing action of hiding God's Word in my heart. I have to be constantly determined to plunder the riches of God's Word. He's he's challenging the reader. I hope you see this. He's challenging the reader here to understand that we must be in our Bibles day by day. Why? Verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He knows that he is prone to wander. As we sung together in our opening hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's David in verse 10. He's saying, listen to this, he says, the more I know the Word of God, the more I understand my own proneness to wander away from God. Isaiah chapter 53 declares that we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone our own way. And there's something to be learned by that very phrase. Because like sheep, we see out of the corners of our eyes. Yes, we have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. But then in the corner of our eyes, we see these these temptations, these idols. And we'll say, you know what, I'll just wander over here for a second. And then out of the corner of our eye, we see something else. And we'll say, well, I'll just wander a little bit farther away. And then all of a sudden, we look up and where's the shepherd? You know, a a sheep has no intention to being lost. He's just looking for something that satisfies him. And so he eats from this little patch of grass here. And then he wanders over there and he eats from that patch of grass. And then he sees that little patch of grass and he goes over there. And then he moves over there because he's seen that little patch of grass. And all of a sudden, he looks up. And there's no more sheep to be found and no shepherd to be seen. And he needs the great shepherd of the sheep to come rescue him. That is you, beloved. That's you. Our hearts tend towards this idol over here or this sin over there. And it brings instant gratification, but soon that gratification wears off. And we see out of the corner of our eyes another and another and another and soon Our sin has led us astray. And we have no hope in saving ourselves because the great shepherd of the sheep is nowhere to be found. David understands this is the tendency of his heart. He knows the readiness of his foolish heart to wander away from the Lord. So he says, the way that I guard against that is I must store up your word in my heart so that I might not be distracted by these temptations, that I might not be distracted by these sins, so that I can withstand the snares of the devil, so that I can conquer the sins of the flesh. And here's the practical ways that we must do it. It could all be summarized in we must be students of the Word. But how are we to be students of the Word? Very quickly, we must be committed to personal Bible reading. We must be committed to personal Bible reading. We cannot know God without knowing the whole Bible. Our Bible from Genesis to Revelation tell us about God. 
It's a grace-filled means to know God through His Word, to spend time with Him, to, to hear from Him, to pursue Him as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures. God has breathed out this Word. He reveals Himself and His Christ, our Savior, to us. And we must be about reading the whole counsel of God's Word because when we do it, we receive the gift of hearing from our God. And He makes His Word effectual to our salvation. He renews our minds, conforms us into His likeness and image. He points out our sin and guides us to His grace. So we need to read the Word personally, but we also need to sit under the Word. What what do we learn when we sit under the Word preached? Well, we train ourselves to ask the right questions, don't we? Sometimes we understand that context matters when we're reading the Word. What does this chapter say? What does this book say? That there's different genres of the Bible. Narrative, songs like we have here. Apocalyptic language like we have in Revelation that seems so confusing. When we sit under the Word preached, we begin to to help ourselves, to, to teach ourselves through the guidance of the Scripture that here is Christ, that's my main focus, and how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to my obedience? How does this apply to my daily living? And so it helps us not only study the Word better, but to interpret it well and faithfully and to apply it. But thirdly, we need to be about Bible memorization. Because here it is so clearly before us, isn't it? That sin lures us into sinful action. And how can we withstand the temptation? Well, beloved, we look no further than the example of Christ there in the wilderness. Each and every time Satan approaches Christ with a temptation, Jesus rebukes him using the very words of God. And he knows the words of God, so he knows the promises of God. And so he understands that what Satan is tempting him with, God has offered him something better in His Word. And so our our assurance of salvation against temptation, when we seem to be in the spiritual wilderness, Bible memorization will help us keep our gaze upon the promises of God steadier and clearer. And that is how David says he treasures the law of God, the Word of God, his Bible. That's how he says that he guards his heart in this sin-filled world, that he guards it with the Word of God as he reads it, as he hears it, and as he memorizes it. So that, so that when temptation comes, he can cling to the commandments, the statutes, the laws of God where he can find joy, freedom, fulfillment, satisfaction, a life of blessing. Beloved, do you want a life of blessing? Here's where you find it. You find it here in the Word of God and you keep it. You obey it. For that is how our Lord has taught us that we will be blessed. Let me pray as the elders come. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to this, your word. And Father, we know our shortcomings. 
And so as we hear this, as we hear this exhortation that we must hear the Word and keep the Word of God so that we might have a life of blessing, we know, Lord, that in and of ourselves, we are so unable to do that. So we plead the mercies of Christ. The same mercies of Christ who caused Him to take on flesh, to dwell amongst us, to live a life of perfect obedience. Where we fail the law, Christ succeeds so that we might be the full righteousness of God. He laid down His life, body broken, blood shed for us. Father, as we gather around this table, let that sacrifice be remembered. But also, Lord, let us have a foretaste of heaven that is to come where we get to feast with Jesus for all eternity. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.